we're going to get into the Word today. We spent the last two Sundays laying out our vision for 2024 and beyond, the things that God was prophetically speaking over our church and what he has called us to. And so if you missed either of those two messages, I encourage you, go check out the podcast, go check out the service recording, and get caught up so that you know what the vision is for this year. Today, what I want to do is I want to teach a really important doctrinal principle that is going to help us take the action that is required to fulfill the vision that we have shared. And that doctrinal principle I want to talk about today is the priesthood of the believer. You may have heard that phrase in Christian circles, or sometimes people say it, the priesthood of all believers. Either way, we're talking about the same thing. Now, we owe what we have today to the courage of Martin Luther who led the Reformation back approximately 1520. At that time, Western Europe was completely controlled by the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church had established a priesthood that was separate from the rest of the people. They were more special, more holy. You couldn't connect to God without connecting to the priesthood. And it was Martin Luther who had the courage to stand up to the institution of the Catholic Church and say, that's not what the Bible says. And it was this doctrine of the priesthood of the believer is what motivated Martin Luther to call out the priesthood of the Catholic Church and say it's not right. And of course, that movement opened up the church opened up the Bible to all believers and saw a movement of church that we are still a part of today. And so I want to dig into this idea of the priesthood of the believer. To understand this, first we need to lay a little foundation because all of this imagery of the priesthood of the believer comes from the Old Testament priesthood. So let's just make sure we've got some basics in place here before we get into our scripture today. So the Old Testament priesthood starts with the temple, right? And the temple had three iterations throughout the Old Testament. First, it was the tabernacle, which was a traveling tent. It was made of poles and, and tarps that they could pack up and move with them. And, and they used that not only in their wanderings in the desert for 40 years, but they brought it with them into the promised land, and they continued to use it all the way up to the days of King David. King David wanted to build a permanent temple, but God told him, you cannot because there's too much blood on your hands. He says, therefore, your son is going to build it. And so we have what was known as Solomon's temple. Solomon built maybe one of the most epic structures that had ever been built in the ancient world, and it was the temple that the Jews worshipped at up until King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians completely destroyed it. After captivity, the Jews came back and they built what is known as Ezra's temple. This was not a flashy building. The old timers were incredibly disappointed at how it compared to Solomon's temple. But in the days of King Herod, King Herod actually added to the structure and turned it into something very impressive. So that the temple in the days of Jesus was this impressive structure that had been added onto by King Herod. That structure was leveled to the ground in 70 A.D. by the Romans, and no Jewish temple has stood ever since. So we have this temple. What is the significance of the temple? It housed the presence of God. 
The presence of God was symbolically represented by the Ark of the Covenant. The glory of God actually physically manifested itself on the tabernacle while the Israelites were in the wilderness. A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. When they moved into the promised land, the physical manifestation of his glory disappeared, but his presence still rested upon the tabernacle. And then there were special moments throughout history when his glory would physically appear above the temple. So the temple housed the presence of God. Then you had the priesthood, the priests. And of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi was chosen as the tribe that would be the priests. And out of the tribe of Levi, those that were of the lineage of Aaron, the brother of Moses, would be the high priest, the number one priest in charge. What was the priest's job? The priest's job was to stand between the people and God. The people could not approach God. They could only approach the priests. The priests would be the mediator between the people and God. The priest's other responsibility was to minister unto the Lord through all of the sacrifices that would happen. So in the temple, in the outer courtyard, was the bronze altar, and it was upon the bronze altar that all of the sacrifices would take place. Oxen and goats and, and bulls and, and, and cows and turtle doves and pigeons and all of these sacrifices that were a part of the, the Jewish worship system. The altar was outside in the courtyard where everybody could see it. But then you would go through a, te- uh, a veil into the holy place. And inside the holy place, there was the table of showbread, there was the altar of incense, there was the, the candle, the lampstand, um, And all of these things represented Jesus and his church. But only the priests could go in and minister in the holy place. And then there was another veil that would go into the most holy place or the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And only the high priest could go into the holy of holies and minister before the very presence of God. All right, that was the Jewish priesthood, the Old Testament priesthood, the Old Testament temple. You guys with me? All right, so that's the foundation. So now we're going to get into our New Testament teaching of the priesthood of the believer. If you've got your notes, you can find them in your bulletin. They're in the church app. They're attached to this video if you're watching this video. They're attached to this podcast if you're listening to the audio. Our big picture point today is actually a quote from a pastor because I felt like it encapsulated exactly what we're trying to accomplish. And that quote is this, we need to know who God made us to be so that we can do what God wants us to do. We need to know who God made us to be so that we can do what God wants us to do. It's important to know who we are. And I used to do this illustration back in the days when I would go into public schools and I would go into middle schools and high schools and I would talk to teenagers. And I'm going to do the same illustration for us today because I think it applies. And the illustration involves three cups, right? We got the paper cup. What's the paper cup for? You use it once and then you throw it away, right? We got the paper cup. Then we got the everyday coffee cup. I brought Shannon and I's Valentine's Day coffee cup, right? Come on. 
It's an everyday cup, right? You use it all the time. It's incredibly useful. It's incredibly helpful, but it's just ordinary. It's just everyday, right? They, they get chips in them. This one's got a chip in it right there. Um, we got our coffee mug. But then we have our teacup. Fine china, incredibly valuable, unique, sometimes even one of a kind. Probably not this one. I'm not that rich. Okay, but. So you say, well, what does this have to do with anything? Because these cups represent how we see ourselves. See, if we see ourselves like a paper cup, then we see ourselves as having no value. So we don't try to do great things in this life. We just try to exist. We just try to get by and maybe not be noticed. We let other people use us and treat us like rubbish because that's how we see ourselves. Or we might see ourselves like a coffee mug. I'm just ordinary. Nothing special about me. I'm just your average, everyday person. I get my job done. I'm helpful. But if I was gone, it wouldn't be a big deal. Or we can see ourselves like the teacup, like the fine china. I'm incredibly valuable. I'm unique. I'm one of a kind. There's no other like me. And if I see myself that way, then I'm going to strive to do great things. I'm not going to allow people to mistreat me. I'm not going to allow people to sell me short like that amazing story Fran shared at the beginning of service. I'm going to strive for great things because I see great things in myself. So today, I want us to see ourselves, all of us, as teacups. I know that's not super manly, but you get it, all right? And what does it mean as the church to see ourselves as teacups? How are we supposed to view ourselves? Who did God make us to be? And the answer is a kingdom of priests. That's who God made us to be. Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he made us into a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And then Revelation chapter 5. And they, the elders in heaven, sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals. For you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them into a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. We should see ourselves as a kingdom of priests and nothing less. That's who God made us to be. What does that mean? Well, you can see in your notes, uh, I left some blanks in there because there's just a couple of words that come to mind when I think of this. When I think of the word kingdom, one of the words that comes to mind is privilege, right? If you are a part of a kingdom, you have all the privilege of that kingdom. We are a part of the kingdom of God, and we have all the privilege of that kingdom. The Bible says we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Come on, we have privilege, but kingdom also makes me think of authority, 
right? A kingdom represents authority. So we have authority on this earth as a part of the kingdom of God. And then there's the word priest. And a couple of words that priest makes me think of. One is access, right? A priest has access to God, right? Hebrew says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. It says, let us draw near to God. We have direct access to God. But priest also makes me think of the word responsibility, Because as a priest, that means we have duties. We have responsibilities. So if we put that all together, what does the priesthood of the believer mean? I wrote it like this. It means that every believer has direct access to God through Jesus Christ. And every believer has a ministry calling and responsibility to the body of Christ and to the advancement of the kingdom of God. That is the priesthood of the believer. That's all of us. Listen, there is no class system in the church. There is not greater believers and lesser believers. There are only believers, right? We share one common priesthood together. And that shared priesthood, that that common priesthood, brings us into deeper relationship with one another, a greater dependence upon one another. So let's go to our main passage today and let's break this down together. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. This is what Peter writes. First, he's referring to Jesus. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by people but is choice and precious in the sight of God. So what is he telling us about Jesus? He says Jesus is a living stone that was rejected by people, right? He came to his own, and his own rejected him. That's what John wrote. But he was precious and chosen by God. Now it says this in verse 5, you also, who is the you also? It's all of us. We are the you also. As living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Come on, this is our picture of the priesthood of the believer. Each one of us is a stone in a spiritual house. What is that spiritual house? It's a temple. So just like we had the Old Testament temple, which was actually a physical place where the presence of God dwelt, now the church is the temple, the spiritual house of God. And when I say church, I'm not talking about this room. This room is a wonderful resource. It's a wonderful utility for us to gather together. But this is not the temple. The temple is us gathered together. When we are gathered together, we are the temple. We are the spiritual house of God. And it says that we are being built up together. So you can imagine the craftsmanship it took to build the temple of God in the days of Solomon. Right? They took rocks, they hewed them to the perfect shape and size, and then they stacked them together. And so we also are living stones. When we come to Christ, we're pretty rough, man. All right, there's, there's not a real usable shape there. But what does God do? He shapes us. He knocks off some rough edges. And then he places us exactly where we need to be in the spiritual building 
so that we can be a part of the church together. And when we are all stacked together, come on, we are the dwelling place of God. And within that, we are a priesthood. Peter goes on to quote Old Testament scriptures. He says, for this is contained in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for unbelievers, a stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this they were also appointed. So these scriptures about Jesus, the rejected stone becoming the chief cornerstone, are quoted by Jesus himself. They're quoted by Paul. They're quoted by Peter. Jesus said... If you come to the stone, I will be the cornerstone that you can build your life on. But if you don't come to the stone, I will be the stone that falls on you and crushes you. Right? Jesus is the cornerstone. So then Paul says, but you, again, that's us, but you are a chosen people. Think about this. Jesus was rejected by the world but chosen and precious by God. So also we, broken, rejected, hurt, lost in the world, are chosen and precious by God. Come on. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And here's the awesome thing, is that Peter is not introducing something new to the church. He is reestablishing something that was originally laid in Israel. Listen to Exodus chapter 19, starting in verse 5. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The exact same terminology that Peter used, that John used in Revelation, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this was not Peter introducing something new to the church. This was Peter reestablishing that what was laid in Israel now belongs to the church because the church is now the new Israel. Amen? Martin Luther said it like this. The priest is not made. He must be born a priest. He must inherit his office. So think about this. In the Old Testament, you couldn't just work really hard and go to school to become a priest. You had to be born a male Levite. And you couldn't work your way up to being the high priest. You had to be born a male of the lineage of Aaron. You had to be born into the priesthood. And the same truth still applies today because the Bible says when we come to Christ, we are born again. And in that new birth, we now have a new inheritance. We have now been born into the priesthood. All right, well, I'm excited about it. I guess if you guys aren't, that's cool. All right. So let's talk about what the priesthood is not. 
a couple of important points, and then we're going to talk about what the priesthood is. What the priesthood is not, the priesthood of the believer does not give us a reason for pride or arrogance. Listen, the priesthood is a free gift of God's grace. We could never deserve it. We could never earn it. We can never do it apart from Jesus, right? Paul said in Corinthians, what do you have that you didn't receive as a gift? So we cannot use this priesthood as a source of pride or arrogance because it was only given to us as a free gift. The prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said some persons on earth do not know where to put the crown. But when you read the book of Revelation, we know that the elders in heaven knew exactly where to put the crown. It says they laid down before Jesus and laid their crowns at his feet. Any glory that you might feel like taking because you're a part of the priesthood, you need to lay down and lay it at the feet of Jesus because it all comes from him. The second thing, the priesthood of the believer does not devalue the office gifts to the church. This is very, very important, and I want to say this very clearly. There is absolutely nothing that makes me more special than you. Nothing. The only reason I stand up here and have a very visible role is because this is my calling and my office that was given to me. But we all have callings and gifts of the Spirit and offices and places of ministry. So you say, okay, well then if we're all the priesthood, why do the office gifts matter? Why does the fivefold ministry matter? The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. They matter because their role is to cultivate the priesthood. Right? So I want you guys to understand this. My job as the chief shepherd of this church is not to cause you guys to depend on me. My job is not to get you to come to me. My job is to nurture and cultivate the priesthood in your life so that you can go to God, so that you can be powerful in your prayers, so that you can do the work of ministry that you have been called to do. So the priesthood does not devalue the office gifts. The fivefold ministry is still critical to the church. But the fivefold ministry is not a different level. I do not have a special status in the kingdom of God. I am not in a different place with the Holy Spirit. I'm in the exact same place as all of you. We are all together the priesthood, but the fivefold office gifts are so important to the church to cultivate that priesthood. Amen? The priesthood of the believer also does not empower us to operate separate from the body of Christ. Right? We can be very individualistic in our faith. And so whenever we read the word you in the Bible, we just think it's talking to me. He's talking to me. But you've got to recognize that most of these letters that were written were written to churches, not to individuals. Some of them were Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Those were written to individuals. But most of these letters were written to churches. What does that mean? That means that all of those you's that you read in there are plural, They're y'alls. That's what they are, okay? They're plural yous. It's all of us. So when it says you are the spiritual house of God and you are the holy priesthood, it's not talking to any one individual. It's talking to us as the collective body of Christ. 
So this does not empower us to say, well, I don't need the church. Jesus made me a priest. I'm just going to go off and do my own ministry. That's not what the priesthood is. The priesthood is us collectively together advancing the kingdom of God. Amen? And finally, the priesthood of the believer does not make us clones of one another. Yes, we are one shared, one common priesthood, but we all have different functions and abilities. So we have a shared oneness, but we also have a uniqueness in our calling and in our place in the body. All right, so those are the things that the priesthood does not do. So now let's talk about what does the priesthood look like. Well, what we do is when we read the New Testament, we look for priestly terminology. And when we find priestly terminology, that shows us what the priesthood is. So what is priestly terminology? Well, it's when we read things like sacrifices, offerings, incense, aroma, right? All of those things are priestly because the priests are responsible for the sacrifices, right? What did Peter say in 1 Peter 2.4 about our priesthood? That we would offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's our role, Right? Here's an important thing. Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus is the one who mediates between us and God. We don't need to go to any person to mediate between us and God. And so that means none of us is the high priest. That means none of us fulfills the role of standing between somebody and God. That is not what the priesthood is. right? Hebrews chapter 3 through chapter 9 I know that's a long stretch of the Bible. It's like seven chapters. Is a deep, deep teaching on Jesus as our great high priest. So I want to encourage you, if you're curious about that, if you're into that, go read Hebrews chapters 3 through 9. Here's a little excerpt for you, starting in 9 verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Right? So God is saying there's a heavenly tabernacle that Jesus entered through, not the earthly tabernacle. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, can sanctify for the cleansing of their flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works. Jesus is the great high priest. So our role is not to be the priesthood that stands between people and God. Our role in the priesthood is to offer sacrifices, to minister unto God, to minister in the temple. So what does that look like? Well, listen, I can tell you guys that the Spirit of God is moving because I alliterated this week. And I only alliterate when the Holy Spirit is moving in a powerful way. All right, I tease. I don't alliterate very often. But this week, the words came, and they all start with P. Come on. So I've got six P words for you to talk about what does the priesthood look like? What are the sacrifices that we are supposed to offer unto God? You guys ready? I don't have a lot of time, so we're going to go through these fairly quickly. We function as priests when we offer our person. 
Let's look for some priestly terminology. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We are functioning in our priesthood when we offer ourselves, our whole person, to God. Witness Lee, who was a Chinese believer who, along with Watchman Nee, come on, you can't make this stuff up, right? Witness Lee and Watchman Nee started a Christian movement that wanted to decentralize the church from that hierarchical structure, and they called it the local church movement, and, and uh, their movements was based on the priesthood of the believer. So I want you to listen to Witness Lee right now as he talks about the priesthood of the believer. He says, in the Lord's service, we must first open ourselves to the Lord and spend time in his presence. This will enable him to fill, saturate, and even swallow us up so that we may be one with him. Then he will be our content and we will be his expression. He will be able to say something through us and to express something from within us. That's what it means to offer our person. We are so saturated in the presence of God that we are an expression of him everywhere that we go. Jill Weber, who is based in the UK and leads prayer movements all over the world, she said this, I am learning to say to God, the answer is yes. Now what is the question? Come on, that's a powerful prayer. The answer is yes. Now what is the question? That is giving of your whole person to God. Number two, we function as priests when we offer our prayer and praise. Those are your next two P words, our prayer and our praise. Let's look for priestly terminology. Hebrews 13, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips praising his name. Come on, when we praise the Lord, when we worship him, when we praise him with our words, when we praise him with our songs, when we praise him with our attitude and with the lives that we live, it can be a sacrificial thing to praise. We are functioning in our priestly duties when we are praising the Lord. Yes, we worship him because we love him, but we also praise him because it's part of our responsibility in this life. And prayer, Revelation 5.8, let's look for that priestly language. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, these are the elders in heaven we've been talking about, fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Come on, that incense arising up in the holy place in the Old Testament tabernacle was the altar of incense, and it was the priest's duty to make sure that that incense always stayed lit so that there was always a fragrance and aroma rising to the Lord. That was a type, a foreshadowing of our responsibility as believers. Our priestly duty is to pray is to make sure that that incense never goes out, that there's always an aroma rising to God as we lift up our voices and we pray to him. We are fulfilling our priestly function when we pray. Number three, we function as priests when we offer our purpose. 
Hebrews 13, 16, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Right? So what is our purpose? Our purpose is to do good. Well, that sounds kind of wishy-washy, Aaron. That sounds kind of like this, you know, squishy stuff that's all in the world today. Well, what does Acts 10, 38 say about Jesus? You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Come on, that was Jesus' purpose, and it's our purpose to be filled with the Spirit of God and with power and to go about doing good. What is that doing good? Well, it's different for all of us because we all have different gifts of the Holy Spirit, different ministry callings, different people that we connect to, different pasts and backgrounds. So it looks different for all of us, but we all have a responsibility to give our purpose unto the Lord and the sacrifice to God is doing the good that you were created to do. Come on, that's what our masterpiece process is all about. Tony Cook, who we started with today, said no believer is called to passivity or to merely be a spectator or observer in God's wonderful family. Nobody is supposed to be a spectator or an observer. Henry Hahn, who was a uh, Christian entrepreneur who wants to see this concept of the priesthood of the believer not only invade the church but invade the marketplace with Christian entrepreneurs, Henry Hahn said it like this. He said, Christians will remain a babe if they do not exercise and begin teaching others themselves. Maturity is not about knowing a lot, but whether the believer is actually participating in the ministry. Come on, we are fulfilling our priestly duty when we give our purpose unto the Lord and we do the good we were created to do. Number four, we function as priests when we offer our proclamation. Come on, the P words just don't stop. Let's look for some more priestly terminology. Romans 15, 15. But I have written very boldly to you on some point so as to remind you again because of the grace of God that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul felt that he was functioning as a priest when he shared the gospel with unsaved people. 2 Corinthians 2.14, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us reveals the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Come on, us proclaiming the gospel, our proclamation is a part of our priestly duty. When we share the gospel, we are fulfilling that function. I found this fascinating. Douglas Stewart is an Old Testament theologian. And that, that passage I read from Exodus 19, when God told the Israelites that you are a holy nation and a kingdom of priests, listen to what Douglas Stewart says about it. They were not to be a people unto themselves enjoying their special relationship with God and paying no attention to the rest of the world. Rather, they were to represent him to the rest of the world and attempt to bring the rest of the world to him. 
Right? So God did not choose the Israelites, the Jewish people, as his own special possession just so that they could enjoy the privilege. No, he chose them so that they would be his representatives to the world. And now that we, the church, are the new Israel, we are now fulfilling the same responsibility. Our job is not just to enjoy the privilege. God is so good and we get his goodness and his favor. No, our responsibility is to represent him to the rest of the world and it's attempt to bring the rest of the world to him. When we proclaim the gospel, we are fulfilling our priestly function. Let's have the worship team come back up today. Number five, we function as priests when we offer our possessions. Philippians 4.18, Paul says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Right? So the church at Philippi took up a special love offering to support Paul's ministry. And when Paul received that love offering, he used priestly language. This was a priestly duty that you did to support the ministry. So when we give, we are functioning as priests. Martin Luther, let's go back to the great reformer. He said the Christian priesthood costs life, property, honor, friends, and all worldly things. It cost Christ the same thing on the Holy Cross. Come on, part of the priesthood is nothing belongs to us. And anything that God asks us to give, we give it. We give it freely. And as Christelle taught us last week, we give it cheerfully. That is our priestly duty. All right? When I was a kid, you know, I grew up in San Diego, and we had the San Diego Zoo, and it was a big deal when the San Diego Zoo got the pandas from China. And so, of course, there was all sorts of paraphernalia in the gift shop for the pandas. And I got, I forget how old I was, but I got a sign. And the sign basically said, don't disturb the pandas, but it said it in like 20 different P words. Right, so I had this sign on my wall, and it was like, don't poke, pester, perturb. You know, I forget all the words. The pandas. So we're bringing the peas back today. We are priests when we give our person, our prayer, our praise, our purpose, our proclamation, and our possessions. That is our priestly duty. I'm going to finish again with Witness Lee. And how he viewed the priesthood as being such a critical doctrine for the church to become what she was meant to be. Witness Lee said, doubtless the church today needs the teachings and the messages. But the most important thing the church needs is the living function of the priesthood. There will never be a proper building up of the church until the priesthood is recovered. The church will never be built up and become what she was meant to be if we, as this expression of the church, don't grab a hold of this concept of the priesthood and recognize that every one of us is a part of it. There is not one of us here that is more special than the other, more holy than the other, or more called than the other. All of our callings and ministries look different, but together we are one unified priesthood. And if we can grab a hold of this, and if we can come back over here, and if we can stop looking at ourselves as paper cup Christians who never do anything great, and if we can stop looking at ourselves as ordinary people, 
And we start looking at ourselves as a kingdom of priests. And when we recognize the priesthood that we've been called to, the great privilege and the great responsibility, then every one of us would rise up and do our part to fulfill the vision of God over Kauai Bible Church, to multiply disciples in Kauai and to the ends of the earth. Amen? Amen. Will you stand up with me? Come on. Jesus, whew, I talked for too long, but I couldn't help myself, Lord. Your passion is inside of me. You have kissed me. You have awakened me. And Lord, all I want to do is run. All I want to do is make disciples. Right next door, around the island, every moku, and to every nation of the earth. So Father, I pray today that the word that I spoke would be anointed by your Holy Spirit and it would be powerful to touch every heart, those here in person and those that are hearing this message. That every heart would receive this word and Lord, it would be transformative in how we view ourselves. And that Lord, we would rise up as a kingdom of priests called to minister unto our God, called to represent you to a lost and dying world, called to build up this spiritual house and to advance this spiritual kingdom. Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would continue to bring us into alignment of this vision. That, Lord, we would see ourselves and our place and our purpose, and we would give of that completely to you. And, Lord, we would all begin to thrive in prayer. We would all begin to thrive in worship. We would all begin to thrive in our ministry. We would all begin to thrive in sharing the gospel. We would all begin to thrive in radical generosity as we give of what you've given us, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, let us catch this, Lord. Let it get deep in our hearts. Let it be transformative in how we live and how we serve. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.